Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. Talking some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist from uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You've got a lot of emails that you've sent in. Uh, our phone number, and you can also text us at this number, 424-424. Two five four nine one four one. Yeah, send us a text, send us a voicemail. We'll play them. We got voicemails today. So we didn't have Dan Weber on this previous week. It's been kind of a crazy time. And I'm I'm heading out of town uh, this week to cover the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii. So I wanted to get Dan on. It might be a little bit of a longer show because you have a lot of questions. And uh, I'll see what we can do while I'm uh, on the islands uh, in Hawaii. But we wanted to at least get this one out of the way because you guys had a lot of questions. Of course, there's been a lot of news around the USC football program this offseason. So we'll try to address all of that. Well, first of all, Dan, what's going on, man? How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, trying to keep up. Uh, it's uh, never an easy time with the uh, uh, January 15th deadline for the NFL early entry uh, guys. And if you're... You have some coaching uh, uh, personnel changes in that same time frame, and um, and we have almost no access to either either the players or the coaches. Uh, it makes for some uh, interesting moments uh, the first couple of weeks uh, of January. Yeah, it's um, we didn't really get the uh, the end of the year kind of conference call, and I I know people have kind of asked about that before. But that was usually a good way to at least catch up on some things and, and clearing up a few things like from the bowl game. But not having that, uh, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to talk to Clay Heldner or, or anyone until signing day at this point. We don't know. It certainly doesn't look like it. Uh, and it, it's been hard to get. For example, uh, uh, just the other day, we, we got a story in a very reputable newspaper, the Melbourne uh, uh, Australia Herald Sun. Uh, with a pro football, uh, pro Aussie rules football player, uh, fairly prominent guy, now 26 years old, announcing he was retiring from Aussie rules football, heading to the U.S. He signed a four-year scholarship at the University of Southern California. Uh, well, when you talk to people at USC, they say we're not announcing anything about anything. Uh, we've we've announced our uh, our scholarship guys to this point, our signees, and that's it. And so, uh, so I don't know. You, you're looking at this uh, this story in the Australian paper, and you're saying maybe they don't really understand what it is to come play football, at, you know, at, in the in the United States, or or what? You just we really don't know. We don't have a good answer. Uh, we just know that that uh, some guy who says he's uh, not playing Australian rules football anymore is coming to the U.S. and saying he's got a scholarship. And we have no idea if he does or doesn't. Yeah, that's all that stuff is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be hard to bring like a fifth scholarship <laughs> kicker punter uh, on this USC football program. But yeah, there's some weird kind of stuff with that. So, and I don't know if that means, you know, Chris Tilby, this, this was his last year. 
uh, he listed it academically as a, you know, the Australian punter that they had, you know, this year and last year, uh, listed as a redshirt junior, but a senior academically. Does that mean that he's moving on? Um, you know, he wasn't the regular this year. Uh, I don't, again, a lot of questions that, uh, that we really don't know, uh, if we're going to get, uh, get answered, uh, before signing day, uh, just haven't, haven't heard much. No, we, we certainly have not. Um, Okay, so let's uh, let's move forward here, and I want to jump into some of the topics that we have today. So, just off the top, we have a lot of questions on all the stuff, um, but just off the top, I wanted to kind of talk about the uh, the latest what we've heard. Rasheem Green. Um, so, since we've had the podcast, Rasheem Green was undecided as of yesterday. He's now declared for the NFL draft. Also, and we have a bunch of questions about lots of coaching questions. Um, so we'll get to all that stuff. But Dila McCullough was uh, joined the program in March of 2017. All accounts been great coaching the running backs. He's now moving on. Uh, Eric Bieniemy was the um, running backs coach of Kansas City. He gets uh, promoted. He's going to be the offensive coordinator now. Dila McCullough ended up playing. You know they were teammates with the Bengals. Uh, close relationship. Really excited. Great opportunity for him. So and you know he told me. Over text message that he, you know, that Clay Helton and Lin Swan fought hard to keep him, but this was just too good of a situation. So not ideal for USC. Rasheem Green, a super productive player for the defense, and uh, Dylan McCullough, you could argue, you know, the best or one of the best assistant coaches. So a couple of big departures, Dan. Yeah, I, I think uh, Dylan is a surprise just because. You know, it, it took a, uh, uh, a personal relationship, I think, you know, and an NFL opportunity. And I don't know if it, you know, going back to the Midwest had, had any effect at all. I think it mostly it was the, uh, the relationship with Eric Bieniemy, And, um, and one of those, you know, if it's, if you're your good friend and he wants you to come join him, um, man, that, that might be hard to turn down. I mean, what it does is it gives Clay an opportunity. He did such a good job of finding Delane McCullough. Um, now you go out and you find the next uh, Delane McCullough, and, um, you know, there may be a couple of different ways you go there, uh, but you really need to probably in this one, uh, you know, break out of, uh, of a comfort zone. Uh, even if it is a, a, USC, a person with some USC background, still I think it's, it's something that you gotta, you got to really make a, make a big move here and, uh, you know, there, there's been you know, a lot of criticism about, uh, you know, pr- promoting from within and, and moving, uh, you know, grad assistants, uh, whether they technically uh, uh, are, are that. Uh, and when you look at Kerry Colbert and Brian Ellis, you look at, you're looking at guys with, uh, that aren't your typical, you know, grad assistants. But you can, you know, move them into, into jobs and, and think, boy, these guys are good. I mean, I always remember... Pete Carroll said that the one player he saw is the most qualified and the most, uh, uh, the one he would pick most to be a coach was Kerry Colbert. So Pete had always identified him as he's got the most uh, traits uh, of any player I've had to be a successful coach. And Brian Ellis probably gets some, you know, unfair shots to say the least. Uh, I thought they did a really good job figuring out how to get him here as a grad assistant. I mean, the guy had been, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator for the Boca Raton Bowl last year, and 
they racked up 52 points. And I know people make fun of Western Kentucky, but they finished in the top 25 two straight years. Uh, And I know he didn't go to Purdue with Jeff Brom, who I think is as good an offensive mind as there is in the country today and and proved it at Purdue, I think, last year. But from what I understand, uh, his longtime assistant uh, offensive coordinator had gone somewhere else the year before and saw the chance to come back to Purdue and um, with Jeff Brom. So he came back, and that left Brian kind of hanging out there. And I thought USC did a good job to move in and get him to come to USC as a grad assistant rather than going somewhere else as a full-time assistant. So, so I don't know that all the criticism is warranted, but I think the Delane McCullough opening really puts the, puts the hat on Clay to, to, to really get the job done, uh, done there. As far as Rasheem Green, I think uh, as far as the players leaving, I think uh, Ronald Jones had to go. Uh, I don't think any question about it. I'm kind of glad he signed with Lee Steinberg. I think that's pretty neat. Uh, and then um, uh, Sam, I think when we left the locker room after the Cotton Bowl, he was he was gone. He wasn't having any fun. This was a, this had become kind of a burden. Uh, and if you're gonna have not as much fun as you'd like, you might as well go to that famous league for not having fun and get paid for it and get your career started. So I, I think that made, made a lot of sense. Uh, I think Rasheem uh, has done so well this year, even though I'm guessing the hesitation was he probably didn't get graded a, as highly as he thought he should. And I think some of that was because he had leaned down and he was under 280, and I'm not sure that they see him as an edge guy. So... I think that that probably hurt him, and he probably is going to be looking at adding some weight uh, before the combine. Uh, the only one that surprised me a little bit in talking to him after the uh, Cotton Bowl was Deontay Burnett. I don't even think it, it crossed his mind about uh, leaving early for the NFL. But I think the more people have asked him, the more he thought about it, and then I don't think there's any question that, that signing Amon Ross, you know, St. Brown has to make you think maybe there won't be as many uh, opportunities next year. I mean, here's a kid, Deontay Burnett, leaving with the Rose Bowl record for most receptions and now the Cotton Bowl record for most receptions. I'm not sure how much more you can do to add to your resume. Is he going to get bigger? stronger, quicker, maybe a little little bigger. Maybe you don't want to get too much bigger if you're Deontay. Uh, so I think, you know, it just, I think it was a little bit of surprise because it hadn't been something I don't think that he was thinking about. But if you look back at what's happened, um, it doesn't, it makes sense uh, for him. So I think USC's kind of in, in a place where, uh, where you thought they would be after, uh, uh, you know, after the uh, uh, early entry guys to the NFL, and not in a bad place. I don't, I don't think USC's in a place where they can't make up uh, ground almost everywhere. Uh, obviously, the quarterback, it, it, you know, is the question. But um, I think they've, they've got a shot uh, when you look at, at the departures. Uh, but I think they've got to really make a move with the uh, running backs coach. Uh, for sure. And we're going to jump into these questions where we kind of talk about that. We'll start off with some of the coaching stuff. 
Before we do, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Indochino. So it's pronounced Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. So custom-made suits, custom-made shirts. I'm very excited. I put my order in uh, for a cool custom-made shirt. Um, you can go to one of the Indochino uh, stores and have them do full-on body measurements. So it's all uh, measured uh, measured to fit, uh, or you can do it at home. I had my wife kind of take the tape measure out, and there's a video online. You go through it all, and she measures everything for you. So they, they measure all your stuff, so it's kind of cool. Um, it's the largest custom apparel company out there. So they make su- uh, shirts and suits to your exact measurements uh, for a great fit. There's a wide variety uh, High-quality fabrics, huge selection, and you can personalize all the details, including lapel, uh, jacket lining, monograms, and all that. So you pick your fabric, choose a customization, submit your measurements, and then place your order, and then you should get your shirt or suit in three weeks or less. So go to Indochino.com, or you can go to any of the storerooms ac- across North America. So this week, all my listeners, any premium Indochino suit you'll get for $359 at Indochino.com. When you enter USC at checkout, there's that's over 50% off the regular price for a premium made to measure suit. Plus shipping is always free. So Indochino.com promo code USC, any premium suit for just $359 plus free shipping. So it's an incredible deal for a perfectly tailored suit. So I'll let you guys know when my shirt comes in and then I'll do the suit part um, afterwards. So Indochino.com use promo code USC. All right, so let's. Um, we had a Dila McCullough voicemail, coach. I mean, voice voicemail for you, Dan. So I'll start off with that one. Here we go. Hey Ryan, uh, love the podcast. Uh, it's about six fifteen uh, Friday morning. Of course, first thing I do while my car's waiting, uh, warming up, is check out the the news coming out or new developments for the Trojans. And it just got some alarming news. So looks like our running back coach is headed to Kansas City. Wow. I'm shocked. Um, first year at the Trojans, and now he's gone. Where does that stem from? I know it's probably a great opportunity for him, but not good for the Trojans. Uh, I'm just trying to think out of the box. What's, is there something we can do to try to keep some of these good coaches around? Uh, is it a financial thing? Maybe do, do we got to look into paying our guys a little bit more, especially our quality guys? Um, hopefully this doesn't do anything to, uh, deter any future running backs that are coming, uh, whether this year or next year. Anyway, um, thanks for the show. Well, I hate to hear that, uh, waiting for my car to warm up. That, uh, <laughs> that sends chills down my, my spine remembering, uh, yeah. remembering the days, uh, back home. Uh, but, uh, I think. USC is never going to be LSU, for example. I think uh, at LSU, uh, Texas A&M, where they spend almost twice as much on athletics as they do at USC, and spend more than anybody else, made a run, you know, and they're spending more on their head coach and all that, uh, made a run at, uh, at uh, the uh, uh, defense coordinator, I guess, at uh, LSU. And to keep him... He was already the highest-paid defensive coordinator in the country. LSU upped the ante uh, to, I think, Dave Aranda. They uh, upped the ante to two and a half million dollars a year for four years, ten million dollars in all. That's just not ever going to happen at USC. I mean, I know there might be people who say, "Gee, Delane McCullough is so good," and he is. I mean, I, you just aren't going to find a better coach. 
and a better guy you'd want around your program. And maybe you say, you know what, we just have to outbid Kansas City for him. Uh, and even if USC, let's say, equaled or topped the Kansas City offer by a little, again, it's an offer made by his best friend and in football and somebody he's really close to. Um, you know, USC might, you know, have to really go way over that number to say, we just have to keep you. I just don't see USC ever doing that. And it's just not probably, you know, I mean, at one time, USC had the highest paid assistant coach in the country in um, uh, Monty Kiffin. But I think that was a package deal where maybe they didn't pay Lane as much and they knew Lane needed a babysitter at the time. And Monty came in and was the highest paid, you know, babysitter in, in, in the history of America. That ain't going to happen again. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I, I don't know that there was anything you could do uh, to prevent uh, DeLand moving on other than paying in a way that USC is just not going to ever do. Yeah, that's I just don't see that happening uh, for for this USC administration. Um, we also have more questions on Dillon. We had a text message. Ryan, the loss of Dillon is really going to be hard to get over. He was one of the best coaches possibly on the staff. I feel like we need an emergency podcast discussing this. Now, where do we go? What direction are we heading? Um, yeah, we didn't do an emergency podcast. We're doing this one. And we also had Bear Secutor write in. He said, I write this on Friday with DMAC gone and rumors we may lose more valuable assistant coaches. If this plays out, there will be inevitably a degree of instability that will add to Helton's challenges. But it does make... 2019, uh, the Crucible. That's and that's a good thing. I'm still looking for Clay Helton to prove himself, his system, judgment, and flexibility as a head coach. Yes, Helton faces great uh, challenges next year, but if he's the long-term coach we need, he should be able to pull it off. If not, it's past time to pull a plug and blow things up. There are no villains here. Pat Hayden, Sark, etc., are no longer in the house. This is a this is the tale. Uh, accumulation of sanctions leading to Kiffin, clearly the best option we had at the time, to Hayden, to his list of sins, tarmac incident, hiring of Sark, failure to fight the NCAA, given an unproven uh, place holding head coach without a Rolodex too long to, to contact. Helton hiring was a, a bank shot. Maybe he will be a great coach somewhere someday, but USC can't wait. And plenty of guys like Kyle Whittingham, Leach, even the SDSU coach who could roll through the Pac-12 next year at USC, even with major staff turnover and the departures uh, of two first-round draft picks on offense. Uh, excellent head coaches do not lose all the good staff, but refuse to move all their weak links. I don't care how much support they are getting from Heritage Hall. Time to earn your extension, Clay. Uh, bone chance, bear secure. Wow, that was long. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't find... Uh a point in there from the bear secutor that I disagree with, actually. Uh, the only question I might have, he said, he talked about two, 2019 being the crucible. I think 2018 is the crucible. I, I think, uh, uh, with the challenges and the opportunities, I mean, you've got both going for you, uh, uh, and the ability to make it, you know, go one way or the other. I think, uh, you know, a great coach, a coach who's a USC capable coach, uh, uh, for the long run, makes uh, 2018 work for him. Uh, and, um, and, and despite the, 
you know, the staff challenges despite the um, uh, players leaving. I mean, that's what you expect. If you're going to have a good program, you're going to have guys who are going to leave all the time. I mean, that's just what happens. Uh, there may be, you know, some place that they used to kid. I, you know, I covered Kentucky, and they used to kid, uh, you know, uh, uh, Larry Bird kidded uh, uh, Rick Roby uh, a long time ago. But when he came to the Celtics and Larry Bird said, uh, was, was kidding him about having to take a pay cut uh, when he came to the Celtics from Kentucky. And, um, and there may be some programs where, where moving on to the NFL isn't, um, you know, isn't the obvious choice, but, uh, but there aren't, aren't many. Most places, those kids, kids are going to move on and, um, you know, when, they're, when they're that good. And uh, you just have to, that has to be built into your program. And yes, he may have, have really done that with the whole, with JT Daniels. And, uh, you know, they've got two quarterbacks that are going to, you know, fight it out and, and both certainly improved, uh, you know, this past fall. So we'll see. I mean, that's how you want to set up a program. Uh, they've got a defense, you know, can they take advantage of it? I think they've got a defense that was, uh, uh, better than the numbers showed. And, uh, and and he has the potential to be the kind of defense you can win with next year. It doesn't have it if you give up 13 plays, 40 yards or more, uh, almost won a game. Uh, you can't have the breakdowns. Got to be sound, but talented enough, technically enough, you know, proficient enough, physical enough, uh, as they showed in the Cotton Bowl, uh, to be the kind of shutdown defense that absolutely should win the Pac-12. You win the Pac-12, you got a shot. I mean, let's face it, last year, as, as, uh, as many issues as USC had, if they don't blow the Washington State game, they're in the playoffs. You know, wouldn't have deserved to be necessarily. Uh, but they, they'd have probably knocked Alabama out of the playoffs. Now, again, you know, uh, you don't have to say that that's the right thing. It's just the thing that would have happened if you would have gotten it done. Uh, week after week after week, which uh, USC didn't. Now they've got to do it this year. They got to get it done this year. They got to have a a great, you know, they got to have a great finish uh, in recruiting. They got to have a great spring practice. They got to be fundamentally sound. They've got to figure out how to. I mean, I've been thinking about this. They usually look pretty good in spring uh, when they've got enough players. They almost always look good the first two, maybe three weeks of fall practice, and you're, you're very optimistic. They're fundamental. They're physical. They're not getting ready for any game. They're getting ready for football. Then they start getting ready for the games, and they start doing the week-to-week stuff, and they start going into sort of NFL mode and, and shorts, and people stop competing, or they don't, they don't have the ability to do you bring on your younger guys and you bring it on your linemen? I'm not sure. I think they have to figure some things out about practice and about preparation and how uh, the good things that seem to be happening in spring and early fall carry over to the entire season. I mean, I know people dismiss the fact that Urban Meyer went two times, two hours, in full pads once Ohio State got to Texas, got to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. That has to mean something. I mean, Urban Meyer, pretty good coach. Urban <laughs> Meyer knows what he's doing. He knows, he knows Urban, what he's doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
and her people act like, you know, what does he know? No, what do you mean, what does he know? He's a college, he's a great college football coach. And he went physical that final week. Well, he wasn't worried about their legs or, you know, you know he, he went out and, and worked them hard. Yeah. Well, Dan, here's... And, and, and you got to think about that. Well, one thing, so we were talking about this on the live show we did on Thursday, and there was a lot of questions about making big changes and all kinds of stuff. And my kind of thought was, and I wanted to get your thought on this. I know we have a lot of questions, but this is kind of important. Um, Clayton has his philosophy, and it doesn't seem like that's going to change. So even in the, you want to coach, you know, that's learning on the job to be able to adjust, but he seems like he's sticking to his gun. So if he was doing, no pads November and not putting pads on before the bowl game and giving players a week off and stuff like that. I don't see that changing. I mean, do you? Do you, It just seems like that's his philosophy coming well, into it. It's not I changing. I think it's better. I think it's better. I mean, because I, I think one of the difference, one, one of the things that happened, and this is the thing that T. Carroll did so well, and I know people, ah, oh, Pete, we know he's gone, blah, blah. No. One of the things that they did so well is his players, were convinced without any doubt that they had practiced harder, competed harder, and were more prepared to do the right thing whenever it ha- whenever it took that in any game they played. They, I'm not even sure they were, but they believed it, and that was just as good. I don't know that this USC team, if they they hear excuses, we have to take it easy. We have to do this. We can't push them too hard. Oh, they're like, you know, they hit 12 games last, you know, 12 straight games and no buy. Da, 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 da. I don't see the same kind of confidence being built in this team with Clay as I did in, in those Pete Carroll teams. I think Clay has to figure out a way to have this team. Now, he changed last year. He changed, he, you know, took the music out of practice that made it much more serious and much more. Um, regulated and, and figured out we're going to do this uh, attention to detail and we're going to get it just right and we're going to keep it the same every – well, I think one of the things that we saw happen this year is by keeping it exactly the same as last year, as, as, as what had worked for him last year, it didn't work this year. It, it didn't have that same impact. I think you need to keep evolving. You need to keep adding. You need to keep figuring out where do we go from here. I don't think that happened very as much as it needed to this past year. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, that, that Pete emphasizes is, you know, that, that game tempo. And I don't know if you go in and without pads every single day, I don't think there's any way you can, um, can, go, can go game tempo, especially for your linemen. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to go all two hours, in, you know, at game tempo in pads, but if you need a session, you know, where your offensive linemen uh, are going against the, uh, your, your D line uh, and pass blocking or, or whatever, and you need 10 minutes, you got 10 minutes where you can do it the way you're going to do it on Saturday. And I just think that was missing. I think the other thing that uh, it got a little boring, I think for the kids, they knew exactly how every practice was yeah. going to go. And it's a routine. It wasn't, uh, Keely, it wasn't very exciting. No, Keely, very Keely was talking about that. It was like Keely mentioned that in the thing. It's like it was just a routine all the time. And at some point, 
you just got to mix things up. And we, you know, I told her like, yeah, coach Harvey Hyde, I know is old school coaching and stuff, but if he saw something that wasn't going right, he could flip practice on its head and just do something, you know, punters, you're now the court. I mean, whatever he, he would do something crazy just to mix things up. But I don't see that happening anything close to that happening ever. Yeah. I mean, I think they needed a year ago to kind of regularize things and get them normalized and uh, routinized and all of that. And to get them, you know, get the music out of there. I do think the music was a distraction. It, it didn't add anything. It was kind of trying to be, you know, uh, you know, on the cutting edge, blah, blah, blah. And it, it just didn't matter. And, uh, this, it's this kind of a classroom. But I think once you've got that, then I think you move to the next thing. And how do you get them ready uh, uh, to play in games? How do you get – and the hardest thing about any coaching at any level in any sport is how do you make practice absolutely simulate the game, the pressure, the speed, the temp, all the things that, that you have to do in practice. And there's no one way to do that. But it's pretty clear that USC's practices often did not get them ready, most of the time, did not get them ready for game speed, game pressure, game conditions uh, this year. It just didn't. I mean, it was, it was clear. And They've got to figure out how to do that. And uh, I think getting rid of no, no pads November would be the first. I mean, these yeah. kids would tell you, oh, man, we'd get there and we'd look to see what was in our locker rooms and if there weren't pads. That was great. <laughs> I don't think that's the way to go. That is not the way to go. Uh, it's not the right way. Because I guarantee you, Ohio State is going to be wearing pads. And they're going to be wearing pads. I mean, honestly, it was – unnerving to be standing in the end zone up close and watching those Ohio State D linemen go through their pregame paces. They were going, I mean, they were so athletic, obviously, to begin with, and there were so many of them. And to watch what the coaches did with them, to watch the quickness and the power and the, uh, the body control and the lean and the explosiveness and all of that, and you just thought what they're doing – USC is not prepared to handle. And that was the same feeling you had uh, before the Alabama game on the same field the year before. You see them up close and, and, and you see what they're going to do and you realize nothing USC has done will properly prepare the offensive line, let's say. And yet USC still gains 403 yards against Ohio State. They gained 280 or whatever. <clears throat> It shouldn't have been that one-sided in the way that game turned out. But USC allowed uh, Ohio State to take advantage in one area so uh, so one-sidedly that um, that USC couldn't you know stay in the game. That can't happen. I mean, when Clay talks about balance, that's a place you need to be balanced. You need to you know you can't have one element of your game so unbalanced that your you know offensive line. You know, can't you know just can't stand up at all because nothing else works. I mean, you've got you know a fifteen hundred yard you know career rusher in Ronald Jones that some people have as high as the number two running back in the country, and you can't even you know sniff uh, you know running the ball against Alabama or against uh, Ohio State. That's wrong. That was bad preparation and bad practice. You've got to do a better job. Now they did some things uh, pretty well. Uh, a quarterback, you know, Sam made some great throws. Uh, the receivers made some great catches. 
Um, but, you know, you get to the red zone three times, you can't drive the ball in, you're not getting the job done. And that's, uh, I think that's a carryover from practice and, and, and preparation. And uh, that's got to get better. It's got to get better. And, and we need to see that in the spring. Okay, well, we have a bunch of questions about the coaching staff, so let's uh, let's try to run through these, and then the questions about actually a couple of basketball questions, and then some other kind of random questions too. But uh, the, the most of them are about coaching. So we'll start with Tarek. When hiring a coach, shouldn't the approach be the best coach available rather than what is convenient? Coach Helton approach approaches recruiting that way. Why not hiring coaches? You know, I think it's a, comp- a combination of things. For example, I mean, I think having Brian Ellis, who worked with these quarterbacks all year uh, and, and, and steps in for what's really going to be crucial, obviously, uh, in the winter workouts in the spring uh, and then incorporating JT Daniels in the summer. Uh, and I think he was really involved in, uh, in, in, in recruiting JT Daniels. Um, uh, I think there might be a real advantage, uh, you know, to having that kind of – rather than bringing somebody new – I mean, again, we're out there, but we all we could tell is the co- or the the players looked like they respected him. I, I think he looked like a more active, uh, involved uh, uh, coach in, in in what they were doing. Uh, he's not that far removed from playing himself. Um, he he had you know experience under I think the best offensive mind in the country and and Jeff Brom. Um, and he's been a play caller, uh, so he's got a lot going for him. So if you say uh, they didn't do that much to move him up, but they did something, I think, a year ago to get him on the staff and to get him to come here willing to take a grand assistant spot. So I'll give him, I'll give him that one. I think every, you know, every case is individual. I mean, I think, uh, I think you know, BKU uh, you know, moves up from uh, you know, the weight you know, weight strength and conditioning and, and, and had certainly, you know, put in all of his time and effort to become a, a you know, a full-time staffer. And, uh, you know, they gave him a chance and, uh, he, uh, we'll see how that works out. I mean, I think he's done a lot of good things with the player. I mean, he's, he's, he's got a stubborn streak and maybe that's what USC needs is a, as an assistant coach pushing back and say, no, I think we need to do this, or we need to do that, or I need to be down on the field, or whatever. I, I like that kind of dynamic. So um, uh, so I think every one of those, you know, is, is, a, is, a, is a different decision. Uh, USC has brought some coaches in with what seemed like decent pedigrees over the years, and uh, they didn't work out. And I think one of the things that made it difficult for Pete Carroll toward the end was he got – assistant coaches that I don't think really understood what he was doing. And some of those were guys from the outside with no real connection. And some of those were guys that they elevated, you know, from grad assistants and neither one of them necessarily worked at it. So I don't know that it's, you know, outside or inside or whatever. It's just getting the right guy. And, um, and, and the head coach has to make that call, but he has to make it for the right reason. You know, who's going to make us the best, the most competitive uh, program we can be. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the key. And I don't think, you know, I mean, I think we knew Delane McCullough was going to be a really good coach. I don't think we knew how good a coach he was going to be. We had to see that for ourselves. Uh, you just had a good feeling about him. His resume was sensational, but uh, he was way better 
yeah. uh, in person than his sensational resume. So is there another guy like that in the country? I'm not sure. I mean, he may have gotten you know the best coach you could possibly have hired anywhere in the country uh, for almost any position uh, when he got to land. So, uh, uh, you know, he, he's capable of that. And we just yeah. have to hold him to that. He did it once, and USC fans would love to see him do it again, where you just get a, a guy that has no ties to USC that's just really good at his job. You're like, yeah, good resume, you know, not convenient. Like, so that's what they'd like to see. Um, we got a text message. Ryan, this upcoming season will be T. Martin and Coach Helton's third year. Is it completely unreasonable to believe that our best hope to be relevant again is, quote-unquote, third time's a charm? Thank you, fight on. Tony Redondo Beach, class of 1999. Well, I mean, it's been the history of USC. That third year often is the year. It was for John McKay after really two terribly struggling, uh, losing, you know, with a losing record after his first two years. He wins the national championship in year three. Uh, same for Pete. Not, he didn't have, you know, he had a pretty good year too. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's not been, I think John, I look at John Robinson and he won the national championship in his third year. So, uh, so yeah, I think by year three, you know, there have obviously been some other things involved, you know, with the NCAA and I mean, God knows nobody in the history of major college football has ever had to fire two, um, two head coaches in the middle of the season in three years. So, I mean, that, that there are some things USC's had to overcome that, Maybe nobody else has, uh, but uh, but I think year three is the year you just say this is your team. There are no excuses. Uh, your USC, uh, go out and show us what you can do. And uh, I mean, let's face it, he showed us some pretty good things. I mean, the the turnaround in year one, the uh, uh, the comeback at the Rose Bowl, the confidence on the sideline, uh, you know, the coolness the ability to make the big play when you had to make the big play, the, the, the game at Washington, um, you know, the big time showdown on the road <clears throat> where they just said, you know, we're USC, we're better than you, and we're not going to let you win this game, and, and that's what they did. Um, uh, you know, handling Stanford twice, which may um, be setting the tone and, and saying in the Pac-12, the rest of you aren't as good as we are. We're USC, we're better than you. And we're not going to let you. Uh, we're not going to let you. You know, we're not going to let you beat us. We're 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 going to control this conference. And USC finally did uh, this past year. And now you build on that, and you say, okay, now time to take that next step up and get back to the elite status. And there aren't very many teams in that. Obviously, that that next group up. And a lot of you know that's what USC fans think. You know, from history and and uh, tradition and location and recruiting that's where usc ought to be and a lot of us agree yeah. and uh i think this is a year to to take that step and act like it no more timidity no more oh i'm not sure if we can do this no no you just say we can do it whatever you know we need to do uh, however we need to practice that's how we're going to do it and 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 then you do it we got a question from uh, Trent. He says, with the latest news of Seahawks firing several defensive coaches, do you think Chris Richard could return to USC? Really hoping they can get a big-time coach to help with player development. I, I wouldn't see Chris Richard. I mean, he, I'm, you know, he kind of 
looking at head coaching opportunities and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't, I don't, you know, I, w- I would not see that uh, at USC. I mean, I guess you know, certainly worth uh, worth looking at. It'd be interesting. Uh, be a nice. Uh, I don't think it would be wrong to have you know people. Now we're talking about BKU uh, challenging uh, you know Clancy a little bit, and and I don't know that that's a that's a bad thing to do. I think you know uh, uh, you know Clancy's got a lot of uh, good, interesting ideas and, and ways to play the game, and they certainly seem to be picking up on it more and more in his year too. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that 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 maybe uh, you know he could uh, uh, add to his. Uh, uh, the way he approaches defense and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, developing a, a deeper rotation and, um, and, you know, having more people that you could really, um, you know, really rely on until they're, you know, before they're thrown in there and you just have to hope, you know, you can rely on them. And the second thing would be the breakdown in the secondary. That, that's just got to stop. You can't have those, uh, those uh, 13 – I still, you know, 13 plays of 40 or more yards USC gave up. And I, I just shouldn't do that. Uh, I just uh, I was looking at one, the 1972 team, I think, the, and, and the one that people have always said is the, the best USC team ever. For an entire season, they didn't give up a single play longer than 29 yards. Entire season. That's what you need. That's, That's the insane. kind of thing you want to be <laughs> shooting for. <laughs> Not not allowing 13 plays of 40 yards or more. You just can't do that. That's yeah. just, that's not athleticism. That's not talent. That's just, you know, breakdowns. That's practice and getting it done and paying attention and uh, to detail and, and developing really good habits. It just shouldn't ever happen. And, and that can't be allowed to happen again. We got a question from uh, Mike in the Bay Area. Text question. I just saw that Georgia assistant strength coach will be the new strength coach at Oregon. I'm a little worried about it. I feel this is a move we should be making to get the boys up to snuff to play big boy football after the way we were manhandled by Bama, Domers, and Ohio State. Are the Ducks putting more into their program than we are? Thanks for all the content and hard work you put into the site. Uh, As always, fight on. Mike in the Bay Area. Yeah, I think the Ducks have to. I don't think they've got any choice. I don't know that... that USC is necessarily going to get out, out resourced uh, and, and strength and conditioning. Uh, and I will say this: <clears throat> I thought the summer conditioning was the best I've ever seen uh, at USC. I, I thought it was really good. I thought it the way they related uh, the conditioning work to the position stuff, and you know that it wasn't just conditioning for conditioning's sake, but it was conditioning for football-related stuff. I thought they did a really good job at that. I thought they worked really hard. This was a team that wasn't out-conditioned. This was a team that, that, that never didn't show up at the end, I don't think, you know, at least physically. There might have been a you know, Notre Dame game where they just, you know, threw in the towel. Uh, but uh, but strength-wise, they don't look at times. When you look at USC's offensive line, they just don't look. They don't have a posture that you think, okay, those guys – could get the job done, and that, and that could be just strictly um, the luck of the draw. Although last year you had the big big group, and and they didn't sometimes necessarily look like they were ready. And this year you had the smaller group, and you know, again, is that is that coaching? Is that practice? Is that other things other than just strength and conditioning? I I don't know that 
it's easy to, you know, lob a grenade in the weight room and say, oh, I'm going to blow it up and start all over. Not sure that that's the case. I, I don't know that the approach is that. And I know that people say, well, oh, uh, Chris Carlisle, let's do it that way, you know, under under Pete. And uh, Ivan Lewis is a is a Chris Carlisle guy. I mean, and, and I don't know that, that the concepts are, are all that different. And um, I will say this, you know, for years, uh, Stanford has been the um, the strength uh, you know leader in the Pac-12, and USC certainly had no issues uh, strength-wise in two games against Stanford this year. The other you know strong boy in the Pac-12 uh, more recently is Washington, with a bunch of you know high-round <coughs> draft picks and uh, prospects and all that. And USC certainly didn't you know. Uh, take a back seat at all to Washington in that showdown a year ago. So I don't know that it's it's that obviously uh, something that's got to be really done, uh, you know, in strength and conditioning. Is USC ever going to look like Alabama? I mean, I don't think any team in, in, in modern football has looked like Alabama. I know Oklahoma came into Kentucky one year on a Barry Switzer team, and they looked like they basically had a you know World Wrestling Federation lineup uh, of guys. They're, they're like, wait a minute, these guys are in college, and all of that. But other than that, um, uh, I, I don't know that you know you just you wanted USC to look a little bit more like they were ready to play uh, up front against Ohio State, and on defense they were. So you know, it's the same program that's uh you know developing those guys so uh so i think it might be more than than just uh, uh just the weight room we had uh scott in san diego text in also hey peristyle crew for dan with rumors that clay is going to promote brad ellis to quarterback coach i'm concerned that no one all caps seems to give clay solid coaching advice clearly he listens to his dad instead of common sense regarding position hires is there someone in the program who is giving Clay solid advice, or his office, or is or is his office impenetrable to good coaching advice? Thanks, Scott in San Diego. Well, I guess we'll find out. That's a really good question. I mean, again, uh, it didn't work out maybe the way you would have liked to see it. For example, uh, I love what Western Kentucky, and I know that's anathema to so many guys. I love what they did on offense the last few years. I really did. I think Jeff Brom, terrific, terrific coach who, who went to Purdue, immediate impact. They produced two top 25 teams back-to-back years at Western Kentucky. That's impossible. I grew up in Kentucky. You can't do that. He did it. Um, but, you know, you had Tyson Helton, Helton and Neil Calloway came from that staff, and then now you get, uh, you know, Brian Ellis. Uh, you know, I I don't mind that. You, you know, maybe some people would say, well, why don't you get Jeff Brom? <laughs> and I can understand uh, somebody maybe saying that. And I, I do think, you know, he's the, he's the guy. And, and it doesn't always work out that you get the guy. I remember, you know, back when I worked for the Bengals and, and, uh, and Bill Welch had been the offensive coordinator for the Bengals for a while. And then he moved on, obviously, to bigger and better things. And then you had this whole series of coaches who got head head coaching jobs at the in the NFL, and all of them were listed as he was uh, Bill Walsh's offensive coordinator, and then they'd flop. And you said, "Wait a minute, 
Bill Walsh didn't need an offensive coordinator. Those guys had the title, but they didn't necessarily, you know, they weren't his offensive coordinator. He was his offensive coordinator. So it doesn't always translate when you get somebody from so-and-so staff and that they have the ability to, you know, uh, make an impact in terms of suggestions and saying we need to go this way or that way. Excuse me. Does does USC need someone to do that? Yes. On offense, especially, yes. Um, uh, Did USC need to do some different things against Ohio State? Absolutely. Did they need to go faster? Yep. Did they need to have, if you're going to run the run pass option, did Sam need to keep the ball much of the time? Yeah. Uh, Did they let him? No. Uh, Did they make Ohio State defend things Ohio State didn't want to defend? No. Um, uh, so, so there were some real flaws. Did they look like they were trying to, you know, walk it up the field and, you know, were they, you know, uh, offensive coaches and training wheels? Yeah. looked like it. Uh, even at the end when they hit, you know, they're moving the ball and there's still, uh, kind of an air of uncertainty about it. What you'd like to see is this team say, here's who we are. See if you can stop us. Now this is the danger of, taking the philosophy uh, that you coached under when Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian were here. Because their philosophy much of the time seemed to be, well, we'll see what you're doing, and then we're so smart, we'll come up with a really cool play. And everybody will say, man, whoever came up with that play is a genius. And so it was basically kind of, a counterpuncher. I know Sark the one year said, we're going to run 100 plays a game and blah, blah, blah. And that lasted one whole, one whole game. And then they went to Stanford and started counterpunching. Uh, I think USC's got enough talent and enough everything to just say, this is who we are. I don't think right now you can say who USC is. But they ought to be able to go into a season saying, this is who we are. We're good enough to do this. And you're going to have to try to stop it. And we're not going to try to necessarily completely adjust to you. Now, there are, there are places we will, and we'll take advantage of things. But we're going to do our thing and see if you can stop us. And that's the kind of advice I would like to see Clay be getting from his assistant coaches. Is he? Uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily see it right now. We got one from Steve. It's a little long. He said uh... – can't thank you guys enough for the high-quality podcast you produce. We are blessed to have such a great platform to follow our USC Trojans. Well, thanks for that, Steve. Very nice of you. He said, I consider Lin Swan to be a man of, of above-average intelligence and having all of his mental faculties in place. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again with the whimper hires headed our way with the coaching staff and no real changes. Is Lin Swan insane or crazy genius? Is Mr. Swan a genius because he can't fire Clay Helton right now, uh, Helton after his current record uh, in an anemic conference, by not interfering and letting Coach Helton hire guys no one else would be hiring? Uh, is that letting Coach Helton write his own pink slip? A non-Darnold-led team will surely lead to a 7-6 and record or worse. That would allow the quote-unquote nice guy to be replaced and open the door for a big name hire in December of 2018. I really like Clay Helton. I think he's a really nice guy. I thought he was more of a blue collar, old school football guy, but his coaching hires are less than ideal. And the soft practices are not in line with the USC tradition without Superman at quarterback. I'm afraid 
he will be exposed next year. Thanks for everything, Steve in San Diego. Yes, I mean, Steve, I think, you know, that's the, that's the worry. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, quite that, you know, Machiavellian, uh, the, uh, the thinking that's going on here. But uh, uh, you could see Rin saying, look, like, I'm going to let you go. I'll let you have your, uh, this is your team. He said it publicly. This is your team and your hire. And uh, we'll see how it works out, uh, which is why I do think, you know, 2018 is, is really important. I do think, you know, people though to say Kerry Colbert, with his experience at USC, with his experience in the NFL, with his experience at Alabama, uh, just just his general, you know, qualities, to say that he's a bad hire if he's elevated to wide receivers coach, I think that's a, 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 a big-time overstatement. Uh, and I think he would be, uh, you know, a very good uh, caretaker, you know, for that position. I think he'd be good for Amon Ra uh, to come under Kerry's, uh, you know, wing. Uh, and I've made the case for Brian Ellis. Uh, uh, so I, I, I'm not so necessarily, uh, you know, negative. Uh, are, is there a spot or two where I might say, you know, based on this year, I might go outside. And I don't know necessarily those spots but it, there might be other spots and, and you just might you know would you might maybe encourage somebody to to take a look and, and and maybe you know find somebody who work out better at a couple of spots yeah I, I really would is clay capable of doing that i don't it doesn't look like it so far uh i think it would send a really good message to everybody in the program um uh, is it going to happen i don't i i kind of doubt it but uh but something has to happen. And so maybe you, uh, change, you know, you, you, you listen, I don't know who you listen to necessarily. Um, but it's time to listen. It's time to, you know, they could have had uh, a, a terrific year with just a few, uh, upgrades and, and some of the things they were doing. I mean, would they have been that great? Maybe not. But against the schedule and, and, and considering the quality of the Pac-12 and all that, it could have looked really, really, really good. Uh, I mean, any year you can beat Stanford twice, even if you have your highs and lows. Uh, you've done you've done a pretty good job, uh, and I don't know that they took advantage and, and were as good. I don't know that this program is any farther along this year, year two. Uh, than it was after year one with clay and and i think that's a wasted opportunity and i think a lot of that has to do with uh who you uh who you hire and what they convince you to do and uh how they impact you i thought the land had a great influence on his position group <clears throat> the drills they did with the with the footballs and the recognition of uh and how he had them thinking about what they were going to be you know, how they were going to get yards after contact and what they were going to have to do on the first level and the second level and the third level and what they were looking for and how they were, uh, you know, thinking about it. All of that was great. Still, if the offensive, you know, play calling, if the scheming, if the uh, line blocking isn't up to snuff when you run against a, a Notre Dame that's all fired up and ready to play or uh, a Washington State that, you know, takes chances and does some crazy things. 
or Ohio State, you're screwed. And um, so I think, you know, more has to come around than just uh, just this coach here or that coach there. And uh, and Clay has to put it all together. And I think you, you start by doing things like you never say balance again. Balance <laughs> is not a goal of its own. Balance is if you want to say we're going to really be able to run the football because we're going to be able to block you at the point of attack and we're not going to be outnumbered at the point of attack and we're going to figure out what we have to do to do that. And then if you figure out that you have to stop our run game by devoting extra people to it, we're going to throw the ball like crazy. And we're going to be able to do both of those really well. We're not going to do it because we're looking for balance. We're looking to beat you. And we're going to do the things you can't stop. And, and the reason you won't be able to stop them is we're so good at them. That's how we're going to do it. Uh, that's, that's my take. We, uh, man, we still got more of these. Uh, Keith in Oakland. So we kind of talked about this already. He said, with the recent news of coordinators getting deals north of $2 million annually, Let's say for the sake of argument that Clay Helton wanted to hire a coach or coordinator, but it would cost at least one and a half million annually. Does he have the resources and or support to make such a hire? I don't know if it can go to that point. Uh, those kind of dollars, my guess is, uh, you know, to keep T. Martin here or to keep Clay here, <clears throat> they'd go pretty high. They'd go higher than they, you know, they're probably paying them right now. Because I don't think, I think that would be the kind of thing that, that, that doesn't come back to clay. That would be one of those program damaging moments uh, that would actually reflect negatively on the powers of, that be above clay. And I don't think, you know, I think so much at USC is done uh, like it is in a big bureaucratic university. Uh, so that uh, I'm not blamed. Don't blame me. I, you know, so I, I, I think they could go, uh, a decent amount, and who knows what a decent amount is now when you see, you know, some of the numbers. Uh, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't go Michigan and LSU numbers, or Ohio State numbers, uh, they, the Texas A&M numbers, uh, no. And, and USC doesn't have to. USC's got, I think, so many built-in advantages uh, that, that, you know, let's face it, T. Carroll uh, – when he got it going, wasn't um, they didn't have the most resources in the country by far, or the facilities? They did, but they were smart, and they they had a you know really good staff, and they had the ability to get really good players, and they coached them up, and I think that's what USC always should do. Got better, way better facilities now than they did, and very competitive facilities on a great campus in the middle of a you know. The, the you know you can't have a better location and the ability to dominate uh, you know the western you know, almost western half of the U.S. Uh, you just have to get it right. Uh, you know once you get those good players there, uh, you gotta you know you gotta get it right. And you gotta figure out you know those three or four, five national players, national recruits that fill in what you you know you can't get in, in the west, and then you gotta coach them up. And uh, you got to put it all together. And uh, I don't know that that happened. Uh, enough progress to that happened in year two. Uh, but it's got to happen in year three. This is a little long one from Dustin. He said, uh, so he says, does Clay 
lean on the experience of others to figure out how he should shape the USC program. For example, I thought I heard that he had a relationship with Urban Meyer via Nike. Would he ever think to put his or another guy's who had a ton of success brain, pick, I'm sorry, pick another guy's brain for ideas slash best practices? Conversely, does he ever look internally to get ideas? For example, Kerry Colbert played under Pete Carroll and worked under Nick Saban at Bama. Would Clay ever ask Kerry uh, what those guys do to make them so successful to try to learn from that? And the second part was, for a guy who by all accounts is a great recruiter, it sort of feels like Clay doesn't value having recruiters on his staff. I say this because we constantly hear that Bradford isn't interested in recruiting um, and you never hear about Callaway or Baxter making an impact on the recruiting trail either. If the thought is that they're such elite coaches um, and then it's okay that they don't participate in recruiting efforts, would we ever consider using putting like a Gavin Morris in that role and have him just be an insanely uh just be insanely present on the recruiting trail. It seems like Clay is pretty confident that he has the best coaching staff he can possibly have. So why wouldn't he want to fill that role with somebody to pick the, pick up the slack for the guys who don't recruit? That's from Dustin. Yeah, I think those ought to be, uh, you know, that, that question, those questions ought to be part of the discussion in this off season. I don't, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, uh, uh, it's more of a commitment. I think as, as some of the coaches who, were fairly new to the staff and to the West Coast, realized that, um, you know, being a national recruiter is more of a challenge from Los Angeles. I mean, you, there's more of your life has gone in airplanes and uh, airports and, you know, all of that kind of thing. Uh, it's not the same as if you're in the middle of the country recruiting, uh, you know, on the East Coast or Florida or wherever. So uh, I think that, that threw, you know, some of, some of the coaches off a, a little bit. And uh, they got to figure that out, and and how and what the relationship is between the uh, uh, recruiting uh, support staff. I mean, when you read that uh, 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 Georgia now has a recruiting support staff of sixty, you know, sixty, uh, it's a different world. And USC probably, if you're going to have uh, coaches on the staff not doing as much uh, recruiting for whatever reason. And I think you really have to amp up the, you know, the support staff and really figure out ways they can't go off campus, but figure out ways that uh, that they can get the job done for you, uh, you know, in the ways that they're allowed to on the support staff. I thought I thought Clay himself got overextended a little bit. I know Urban Meyer and, and you know talked about how much the early recruit, you know, signing day, uh, you know, caused them to have to change what they were doing. Although I, my guess is Nick Saban did not leave campus and did not have to uh, much at all. But I thought, you know, Clay really had to put in a lot of hours and a lot of flying and a lot of days, you know, coming and going. And I don't think that helped USC prepare for the Cotton Bowl all that much. So I think they got to figure, you know, they got to figure some things out. Uh, and, and that takes a really strong, uh, committed, dynamic leader who sells that plan to the people he works for and sells it hard and preaches it and believes it and sells it hard to his staff. And, and, uh, that's, uh, that's, I think what we want to see, uh, uh, this year. All right. We're going to go to a voicemail question. Here we go. JD from DC with this week's question for Dan. Dan, sometimes I think even, uh, the most severe critics, uh, this program, like me, lose sight of the fact of how easy it could be and should be to turn this program around. We don't need a total reset like at Notre Dame. 
Uh, we've got three great assistants. Uh, Martin and Hilton are only in the second year of their respective position. There's every reason we believe they're going to get better in their third year. My, you know, even if they come up to B minus, that's all we need. We've got a great wide receiver core. Looks like we're going to add uh, ASB to replace Mitchell. That's all we need to be as good as anybody in terms of the receiving core. I know we lost Sam Darnold. We've got three very talented quarterbacks. If we design a system that, um, you know, uses their strength and hides their weaknesses, that's plenty of guys to throw the ball to and have a balanced attack. Uh, we've got a deep, talented wide uh, running back room and the best running backs coach in the country. Uh we should be fine there as well. There are no problems on the offensive side of the ball from a talent standpoint. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we only lost three players. We're getting back the obvious captain of the team next year. We've got arguably the best defensive coordinator uh, in the country. And all we got to do is just land two cornerbacks for a change in this class who contribute, and we don't need to make any changes on the defense. But there are two obvious positions that stick out like sore thumbs that are being managed by coaches in the twilight of their career who've had abysmal performances in the past couple of years and are not going to get any better. At this age, what you see is what you're going to get. They need to be replaced. There's no risk involved. You bring in a young, energetic, unproven, but great, you know, energetic Recruiting guy like KDU, you're, that's a big upgrade. You bring in a, uh, you know, an outstanding, solid position coach with some experience, but who's laboring in, you know, you know, less prominent position like Dylan McCullough. That's a huge upgrade. That's what needs to be done. And if that is done in the next couple of months, you're going to see USC win the Pac-12, maybe only lose one game, and maybe get into the playoffs next year, despite the loss of Darnold, despite the loss of Jones. There you go. Even though J.D. Uh, sent that in before uh, DeLand was gone, and, and, and it sounds like before uh, uh, Deontay uh, made his decision, uh, you know, you can't disagree. They're not that far away. I mean, and, and that's the, the, the thing about this USC job, is you come in and do everything right, uh, you can get real good in a hurry. Uh, and it helps, you know, we make fun of the Pac-12, <clears throat> but there's a plus in doing that if you do everything right, you ought to win the darn Pac-12. You really should. Uh, and, and I think that's how you got to, you know, you got to think about this year. Um, and, and, and I would not ever use the, the quarterback thing as an excuse. Um, as to, you know, the, the, you know, the two position groups that, uh, that really need some work, uh, uh, I mean, is it, you know, is it, can you individualize it or is, is it more scheme to some extent or is it not, you know, necessarily coaching to scheme? I mean, it's hard, you know, you look at Neil Callaway and you, you think, okay, this is a guy that, you know, was the most inspirational player for Bear Bryant. This is a guy who I believe when he came to USC, he had more Southeastern Conference championship rings than anybody who ever lived uh, as offensive coordinator at Georgia and line coach in most places, offensive coordinator, line coach at Georgia, Auburn, and Alabama. So his resume, uh, and you know, for being a tough guy and all of that, you know, is, is there something else happening that it's just not, you know, Coach Callaway? Is is this tied in with 
you know, some of the issues that, that people have with, with practice in general. Uh, I don't know. Uh, as far as the, you know, the cornerbacks, uh, there are some issues. There's no question about it. Uh, but, you know, and technique and, and, and detail and, uh, and, and, and guys just, uh, you know, sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. And, uh, uh, you know, got to give them credit. They showed up, you know, against Ohio State, you know, for the most part. And, uh, and they've become pretty good tacklers uh, despite how, how, you know, how the practices are going. Um, so, you know, just, you know, tightening things down is, is really a key. And, and is that uh, a part of the, you know, what the coach does? Yeah. Uh, a big, big part. So, and there's so much potential in that, uh, uh, secondary group, so many good young athletes and talent and, uh, somewhere you, you got to get it right. We, uh, man, we still got a bunch of questions left, so we'll try to, we'll try to get through all these. We'll just maybe go a little quicker, I guess. Okay. Um, but. Yeah, we I mean, a lot of great questions. It's just a whole lot of them. Uh, Paul in Santa Clarita says, "Hello, Dan. I saw that Richie Wenzel for offense, Jacob Lichtenstein for, and Jay Tefelli for defense were named the service team players of the year. From what you saw this past year, who of the service team players do you think could have a breakout year next year? And can you provide some details on how Jack Sears uh, looked while playing? Actually, forget the Jack Sears. We have some quarterback questions later, but." Who are the good service team players you saw, Paul and Santa Clarita? Well, I think they did a good job, and I don't think they were looking. I mean, in terms of naming those guys, and I don't think they were necessarily looking to uh, who's the guy that could be the breakout guy and all that. Although you you look at Lixenstein's frame and you just think, okay, there's a there's a lot there. There's a there's a look about him <clears throat> that this is a guy that could fill out it and, and really, uh, you know, you just like those big frames of, of those lean, rangy, uh, rangy kids. And, uh, so, you know, I think they got that right. I thought Jack Sears, uh, he had a good year. Uh, I thought he had a good, uh, you know, maybe nobody's going to have a Jake, you know, uh, or excuse me, a Sam Darnold, uh, uh, uh scout team year. Uh, and I don't know that they quite went at it the same way. Uh, but, um, but I thought, you know, he, uh, and I think one of the reasons he did was that I think Matt Fink had such a good year. And I think, uh, uh, it was a matter of, of keeping up with Matt and, uh, and getting the job done. And, um, he's, uh, he's really athletic. He gets the top speed quickly. I mean, Matt Fink is a really good, you know, runner with the ball and clearly has done it a lot and knows what he's doing. And, uh, you notice with Jake Sears, he's so smooth and he gets the top speed really quickly and and doesn't have any problem. I mean, you got two good two good running quarterbacks and <coughs> with Jay, uh, in Sears, uh, you have a guy that just is just a really 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 uh, special athlete. I think on the top end of his speed. So what you saw with those two was not necessarily what you were seeing with Sam. And uh, uh, I like, you know, both of what you were seeing there. As far as uh, other guys, man, we don't get – one of the hardest things to do is to try to pick out, like, say, what the offensive line guys are doing uh, uh, because they work in the very far corner from where we are. And um, uh, so as much as we'd like to be able to say, you know, this young guy or this young guy, um, 
I don't think we know. I, I really don't think we know. I get the sense that maybe not as much is happening there as, as needs to happen. And one of the reasons is by the time you get, you know, November and you're taking the pads off, uh, I don't know that they can get a whole lot better. Uh, so I mean, that's one area I, I'd really take a serious look at and, and, and seeing which of those guys uh, are ready to step up. I think some of the obviously uh, the injured guys, I mean, I love uh, Greg Johnson. I thought he showed before he got – uh, before he got hurt, I thought he was. I thought he was going to be in the lineup this year. Uh, he just got a lot of, uh, you know, he got the size and the skill, and um, the toughness and uh, the quick twitch athleticism and and fear, you know, fearless. <coughs> Bubba Bolden obviously played, but uh, but I think you know he's another one of those guys. Uh, and then uh, Isaiah Palomalo, who gives you a really big uh, kind of Bubba Bolden type guy at safety. I think the you know there are three uh, guys, second year guys, who I think are really going to contribute to the secondary. Um, uh, as far as uh, up front. I wish we could tell you more. Uh, and I just don't think we, we know enough. I think spring becomes awfully, awfully important uh, as far as those guys. And, and we'll know a whole lot more. Yeah, there. so we had a bunch of – so Tarek wrote in a couple times. He wanted you to break down the skill set of Jack Sears and Matt Fink. If you think Fink can uh, take over the job and lead USC to a Pac-12 championship. Oh, he also said – he went to Trader Joe's and asked for the corn pudding, but they're holiday. It's a holiday item, so they're out. So maybe next year. Um, but we also had uh, Bill and Mesa uh, say, "I'm not a real believer in a true freshman starting quarterback." The last one USC had went 34 and 17 um, as a four-year starter. I believe Finker Sears will be named the starter. You've seen a lot uh, more of those guys than the rest of us. Your thoughts? I really want to hear Dan's coaching, uh, not report thoughts here. As the Sam versus Max, the quarterback position has changed so much that unfortunately Max was obsolete by the time to play his time to play came around. So a bunch of kind of quarterback comments and maybe, you know, I know you shared a few thoughts there if you want to share a few more and then we'll, we'll roll on. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, uh, Matt think has definitely improved his, his confidence in his arm and his strength in his arm. <clears throat> and he knows he can run the ball. Uh, and they know he can run the ball. And I think, you know, the combination of, of, of Jack Sears and, and, and Matt think gets you more, more run in the run pass option. I don't think there's any question. It would look completely different. I mean, who knows? They might have been uh, fairly effective against Ohio State because I don't think Ohio State was uh, what they were doing defensively. Uh, they weren't really accounting for uh, the quarterback to run the ball that much, uh, obviously. USC knows how difficult that was, uh, you know, with JT Barrett. So I think those two uh, coming online uh, forced the offense to do some things that, that they haven't done. Uh, and I don't think there's a bad, that's a bad thing. Um, now, um, uh, I think Jack is, is needs to work on his arm a little bit, getting on top of the ball and throwing it with just absolute confidence and, uh, you know, toughness and, uh, you know, being able to th- make that tough throw into tra- you know, into traffic, uh, you know, hitting a guy that's between a couple of people, uh, all of that kind of thing. I think um, uh, 
I think his uh, control of the offense, it got better. I don't think they asked you to do a lot of things, and I think uh, that that definitely came uh, came around. Um, uh, but I do think you're going to have to factor in JT Daniels. I just think I love the word I think is so appropriate, savant. I mean, I think, you know, he is uh, he is that, that guy. He just sees things clearly. His timing is impeccable. His just, you know, that in, that ability to throw, make that back shoulder throw. I mean, just, I, I don't know that you teach that. I just think, you know, there's some things you can either do or you can't do. Uh, I like the prospect of having, you know, the three-way, uh, you know, quarterback uh, battle. I like the fact that uh, JT certainly, you know, changed the way he can move from last year to this year, um, his size and his athleticism. Uh, I just think he didn't have to, so he didn't. Uh, and maybe they didn't want him to, but uh, he certainly, uh, you know, can. So I, I think and it's crazy to say it after Sam's uh, first year, but looking at Sam last year, they may have a, a more active quarterback uh, uh, than Sam turned out to be. And I, I don't think we know the whole story as to exactly why uh, Sam's escapability uh, went down. You know, I mean, a guy that Penn State couldn't even begin to think about sacking in the Rose Bowl a year ago got sacked eight times by Ohio State. A comparable, you know, they had obviously, you know, great, great defense in front, but not a, a totally uh, out of the same class as Penn State. I mean, those two had played down to the, you know, the last play two years in a row. So that that, that changed so significantly um, maybe indicates, you know, more more going on than you would think. But but I'm I'm optimistic about the competition because of what it's going to force the uh, the coaches to do in terms of uh, designing the offense and, and be, being aggressive and not, not having to feel like, oh, we've got to protect the quarterback or whatever. I mean, I just think, uh, I, I think they can make this work for them. Uh, and I just think those are the decisions. I, I would like the quarterbacks themselves <clears throat> to make that decision for, for the coaches. I mean, I think that's the kind of decision where you – you uh, you say this is up to the quarterback. I mean, we still we had the one spring where you had four quarterbacks and nobody knew who uh, who Norm Chow was going to pick and why, and and he trots out Matt Leiner, you know, for the spring game and and obviously Norm knew and Norm made the right decision and um, and USC obviously benefited you know tremendously from that and I think you know that's what has to happen here is it USC gets it right gets the um, quarterback competition right gets the quarterback development right and uh, gets the quarterback the scheming and the offense for the quarterback gets that right and I think the focus will be on all of those things and uh, you know now we'll now we'll see yeah Eric in Duck Country wrote in, it's logical to expect the team to take a step back without Sam next season. Will people tolerate a drop in on-field performance, or will people see it as an indictment of Coach Helton's uh, coaching ability? Is Coach Helton actually on the hot seat, or will it take a few seasons of mediocrity? Thanks, as always, Eric in Duck Country. I think that's a good question, and I think uh, 
We'll know. We'll see. Uh, I think for some people, it would be an indictment, and they would very easily say the only reason you, you know, won the Rose Bowl, the only reason you won, you know, 21 games, the only reason you won the Pac-12 was Sam, and Sam's gone, and now look what you're doing. Uh, so I think, you know, you have to guard against that if you're uh, if you're this program, if you're Clay, if you're, you know, everything that, that goes into it. Uh and I, this is way before anybody's time, but as you were a little you know, kid growing up in Cincinnati, uh, you remember, and I th- still think uh, you guys might know the name, Oscar Robertson was the greatest college player ever. Uh, and he graduated. He took USC, uh, I mean, UC, Cincinnati to the Final Four a couple of years, and and um, and he graduated. And the coach left, and everybody said, that's it, it's over. And all they did, they came in with a completely different philosophy, and they played defense, and they were physical. And they won the next two NCAA championships, and they lost the third straight on a tip-in at the buzzer. And I still remember that, is everybody in the world said, you can't lose the greatest college player maybe in the history of the game and get any better. And they did. It does happen. It really does, and I'm sure we can find other, you know, instances, uh, you know, of that happening. But I don't think you want anybody talking about it, thinking about it, um, excusing anything based on uh, Sam leaving. Yeah. Uh, you can't. You just can't. If you think like that, uh, that's a loser from the from the get go. So you can't do that. So uh, so I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, go there. I'm really not. Uh, and, uh, it's, so it's it, not an excuse. And, 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 uh, it can't, yeah, it can't just, be an excuse. T- Tennessee won the national championship when Peyton Manning left, and they had T. T- Martin. Ooh, you guys perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then there's somebody here who I think ought to be preaching that to the USC quarterbacks every single day. Yeah. Guy by the name of T. Martin, yeah. who uh, probably <laughs> fairly uh, familiar with that scenario. That's a, uh, that's a great scenario. That's the uh, that's the appropriate one, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, nice. yeah. Uh, we had and go- I think it probably still bothers Peyton Manning to this day. Yes, I think you're right, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, I don't think I don't think it, it buys him time that Sam Darnold's gone. Um, it's just more pressure to make sure you succeed. Uh, Golden Trojan said, each of the past two years, the coaches have been late to insert key players into the rotation. Sam Darnold last year. Tyler Vaughn's and Christian Rector, uh, 2017. Who do you think is in danger of falling into that category in 2018? And Ryan, as someone who was on the Tyler Vaughn's train early, would like to hear your thoughts on this too, Golden Trojan. Uh, Joseph Lewis, I think, is... Uh, I was at a... <coughs> with a USC uh, group from uh, Connecticut. We're at the... Um, at the Battle of the Bands in Dallas, and uh, they had their young son with them. And they said, oh, you know, Dan does the uscfootball.com. <laughs> and he said, my son's got a question for you. And he looking up at me and says, what happened to Joseph Lewis <laughs> this year? And I think that's a good question. Uh, but uh, But I think... Watching him will be uh, of interest uh, as to as to what happens, and if he makes it back, and everything you know, he gets through the spring and gets all the academics incorrect. What happens to Jamal Cook? 
uh, I think those are those are ones that um, and I'm not saying you know going to fall through the cracks or whatever, but uh, you want to make it so that what happened with Tyler and, and Christian doesn't happen to anybody uh, next year. So those would be maybe people you would be looking at to, to see that it doesn't happen to them and that you figure out if they can play, they ought to be on the field somewhere. And maybe you, you, does that mean you have a, a rotation that, uh, that gets the job done? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with those. I think Levi Jones is a guy you want to see. Uh, I mean, heck, it could be JT Daniels if he comes in and just lights it up and doesn't get the start. Um, and he's like clearly the better quarterback, and you're like, why isn't he starting? So he could be the next guy. But you know, that's I, a good point. That's a really good. It's hard, point. To, but right. it's hard to say right now. We're like in the off season. You know, we got to see spring practice or something first, and then, you know, you'll see Tyler Vaughn's go because Tyler Vaughn's wasn't good. He had a hard time transitioning from high school to college. His true freshman year, he just wasn't all that spectacular. He figured it out and was great in the spring. So we put it out like, all right, he's back. Like he's the five star again, and uh, it just took him a while to get in there. Uh, this is kind of long. Jim B, best USC football podcast out there. Thanks, Jim. Uh, keep up the good work. The reason why SC is not in the playoffs is because the board of trustees at SC does not care that much about football. They don't do anything to deal with all the negatives that the program faces. They don't. They didn't sue the NCAA over the horrendous sanctions. They don't deal with the problems with the Pac-12. The Pac-12 never supported them against the NCAA. The scheduling is such that with the late games, SC doesn't get much East Coast exposure. Then there's the Friday games on the road against good teams in areas where there may be inclement weather. They don't spend the money. They don't need uh, They don't need to on the program. They don't have the administration assistance and the football in- infrastructure that the big-time power programs have, and they're not doing much to address these problems. The football powers that care about football address... Uh, I'm sorry, the football powers that care about football address these problems, SC's board of uh, trustees just doesn't seem to care that much. They just accept whatever is handed to them without a peep. Am I wrong? Uh, If I'm right, what is the solution? Should the fans, alumni, and boosters complain more? What if UCLA became a power under Kelly and started beating SC every year? Would that change anything? Fight on says, P.S. I hope I'm not asking... uh, a question that is politically incorrect. I've been told that you are not supposed to ask these kinds of questions at USC. After all, we must not question the almighty board of trustees. That's from Jim. You know, I think the board of trustees has been so expanded and, and there are so many people on there that I'm not sure that they would know a football from a pumpkin uh, <laughs> that um, uh, I don't think that's the place to go. I think the leadership that you need to get football to where it has to go has to come from the athletic director and the head coach. And I think it's their job to win the president over. I mean, I, I've gotten to know Max Nikias pretty well, and uh, he would love to have a great football program. Now, what that entails, does he understand? Does he uh you know, where would he prioritize that and all of that? Uh, I think he, it has to be prioritized for him by people in the program. I think Clay Helton and, and Lynn Swan have to make that, uh, have to make those choices, have to make the case, and I don't think it's going to come from the top down. I don't think it's going to come from the Board of Trustees. I think you have to make the case to the president and the Board of Trustees that this is the way to go. And, uh, 
uh, I don't know that that case is completely. I mean, I think there are people who just assume, well, we're USC. Look at the history. Look at the tradition. Look at all that. Of course, that's you know the case. I think you have to make the specifics clear to the people in charge. That, for example, I think somebody needed to make the case that uh, $270 million to completely redo the Coliseum isn't nearly enough. And uh, I would have liked to have seen somebody who said, okay, we've raised $6 billion. Nobody else has done that before. Uh, now we're going on to another $3 billion. And I have wonderful success for Max Nikias. And did anybody make the case that, hey, you know, with that $3 billion extra, there might be some money in there that we could raise some of that money and dedicate it to doing the Coliseum right. And maybe we take, you know, now we know they're, they're tearing out all the seats and what have you, until they start tearing out all the concrete under the seats, uh, <clears throat> you still can hope for some, uh, you know, divine intervention uh, at, at the very least and uh, and say, gee, just, you know, fix the, put the new seats in, put the new rows, put the new aisles, do all the stuff you need to do. Just don't tear the place apart until you get a better plan. Probably not going to happen. They're going to have a dedication uh, January 29th. Uh, but just one thing like that, uh, they just didn't get it right. And there are other places, you know, in terms of the support staff and all that, it doesn't look like they've quite put their case together and, and gotten it right. And if you make the case that, hey, you know, we need to do some things. And, and, and USC needs to take far bigger leadership role. And I know Max is now the chairman of the, uh, you know, the board of, uh, uh, I guess, the CEO group in the Pac-12. And he's also the chairman of the board of the uh, college football playoffs. So he's in a position to exert some leadership. I think that's where USC has to use him. And I think the people, you know, in the athletic department have to figure out what could he do and how could he help us and what do we need. And uh, a lot of that starts with the Pac-12. You know, I think Larry Scott was very late to the party when he was trying to make USC's case um, uh, right before the Pac-12 championship game. But make USC's case when you uh, schedule them on a Friday night, uh, the second half of two road games in at Washington State. That's when you make USC's case and you say, hey, we're not doing that. They wouldn't do it in the, in the SEC. Uh, and that's where USC's got to scream to high heaven. It's just ridiculous uh, that, you know, USC uh, has kept quiet. And I think, you know, the, the whole idea of the way they um, – they get very little out of the Pac-12 networks, uh, very little money, very little exposure. Uh, all those things do is, uh, you know, offer uh, money and jobs for, you know, people at the Pac-12 networks in the Pac-12. Uh, and, and USC's got to say, this has got to stop. This is ridiculous. We're not, you know, they spend more money and they get less out of it than any, any of the other uh, leagues' networks, and um, it's a failure. And USC has to make that case, and nobody else is. Well, I mean, the, the chancellor at Cal actually made, you know, started questioning, and I think USC's got to start taking the lead and figuring out where are we going from here, because this is not satisfactory. Getting twenty million dollars a year less than Rutgers in Illinois, because they're in the Big Ten, is not the way for USC to go. And uh, and they got to make it clear, but it's not the board of trustees' job to figure that out. It's the uh, it's it's people in leadership roles in the athletic department, 
and we're not seeing that and we're not hearing that and and we need to start uh, seeing and hearing that from those people we got a text question do you think that we can actually see underclassmen play on defense levi jones bubba bolden he said johnson paulo uh, murphy wale uh, and, and the incoming linebackers are way too talented to waste a year on special teams or sit on the bench another year. Look at Georgia, for example. They rate, rotate the young players in to get valuable reps throughout their college career and turn them into first and second rounders. Can we say uh, that USC position coaches have lacked player development besides Dillon, who's no longer there? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, absolutely critical because – Anytime you see this sort of lack of uh, uh, confidence, uh, lack of, uh, you know, a sense of uh, we can get these guys ready to play, to me that's a lack of confidence in your own coaching ability. And it's a lack of confidence <clears throat> in what you're doing every day in practice. And, and, and I think it, it's, it's more on the coaches than on the players. And every one of those guys, I think, he has to be uh, a major factor next year. And if that means you've got to rotate, if that means you've got to get them all ready, get them all ready. This is not the NFL. Uh, this is a whole different world, and you, you, you've got to do it. And you, and you can't just have them, you know, waste a year. Uh, you've got to get them ready. You've got to figure out. I mean, you've got to figure out, you know, what's going on with Connor Murphy? What's going on with all of Wally Batiku? Uh, how do you get them on the field? Uh, what do you do, you know, with those guys? Uh, and, and you're obviously going to have depth at, you know, safety. Well, how do you how do you make them, you know? And, and what's the best place for Biggie Marshall? You know, is there a is there a, a you know a slot defender spot? Uh, you know, sort of a. I mean, a lot of people said, oh, he's a safety. Say, you know, is there kind of a a midway point between uh, you know corner and safety for somebody like Biggie? Uh, I mean, those are just as valuable uh, positions to play in the NFL now as, as anything. So, uh, you know, would his size and his speed and athleticism, you know, maybe be really, really work out well as a slot defender. Uh, and you got to have them. They play, you know, they basically are on the field all the time. So uh, uh, I think yes, you've got to be smart and they got to make the right decisions. And then they got to, you know, they got to, uh, just got to make sure that everybody that's got the talent to be out on that field has been coached up enough to be able to be out on that field and not be, you know, oh gosh, I don't know if they're ready. Uh, no, get them ready. You got all spring, and you got, uh, you know, five weeks in the summer. Uh, you can make the case that they didn't do much uh, in the uh, Cotton Bowl prep work to get those guys ready, and that would be a legitimate case. I don't think they did as much as, as we've seen in, in, in past years uh, when you've got those, you know, uh, extra practices and um, another missed opportunity. So I think they got they got some makeup work to do in spring and summer. But uh, uh, I think, you know, they've got, they got the talent to make it up. All right, we got uh, – here's a voicemail question. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is Judy from Claremont. I'm watching this uh... – U.S. Army game of the high school recruits, and I'm kind of concerned with the number of, or the lack of number of uh, uh, kids saying they're going to commit to SC. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, and what's what's happening? Uh, we need help here. Thanks. And then, right uh, 
Bye. Thanks for that one. And we also had um, George and Oxenard. What do you think of Amon Ra St. Brown's antics in the All-Star game? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, do you expect Jack Jones and Harris to tone it down next year? Is that just who they are? Thanks and fight on. That's George and Oxenard. So some Army Bowl questions. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the numbers of guys saying USC was more a function of um, uh, the numbers of scholarships. USC's in a position now where they don't have a whole lot of you know guys leaving the program, and so they don't have a lot of scholarships to give. I think the uh, the Murray kid from uh, modern day is a perfect example of uh, somebody they they'd have had the numbers uh, you know they would have had it. Had a had a kid like that. I just think uh, you know they ran out of numbers. Uh, but uh, as far as Amon Ra, uh, I love his skill set. I love the fact that USC will actually have a guy who can return punts. <clears throat> that may be the most important thing he brings. But uh, he is good. Uh, uh, yeah, I would probably not uh, have him in the next locker to uh, Jack Jones. Uh, would be. Uh, uh, I might not even have them in the same uh, uh, room. Uh, I, I put a lot of space between uh, those those guys. I mean, I think uh, uh, I think that's what you do every day in practice. You coach them up, and in his case, you coach them down. Uh, you just you know calm him down because uh, he, do, he doesn't need to do that. I mean, I'm sure you know we're not going to stop the talking, uh, but as far as the uh, you know, you, you tell them, okay, there's a reason there are no names on the back of USC jerseys. Not that we could fit your name on the back anyway, but there are no names on the back of USC jerseys because this is about the team. It's about the Trojan program. This is not about you, not about any one individual. Make plays. They'll notice you. Uh, but don't be thinking about demonstrations or spinning the ball or kicking the ball or whatever. We do not want you. And I think the kid's the kind of kid that with that kind of a challenge, uh, I think he'll pick up on it. I think he, he'll be fine. He doesn't need to do that. Uh, and I think, uh, yes, he ought to be able, they, they need to be able to make the case that you're not going to do that. Now, the fact that this is a team that, you know, is in the bottom, uh, you know, I'm trying to think with bottom five in the country in penalties, it's probably not a good sign, you know, not a good indicator. This might be the challenge that the USC coaches have to pick up on and say, look, we're going to start over again this year. We're not going to allow guys to do dumb things and undisciplined things, and we're going to um, make sure they understand that because that's not the USC way. And I think that's uh, one of the, one more of those challenges, you know, for Clay as a coach is to get him and the staff to stop any kind of those, uh, you know, undisciplined and look at me displays. That's not who USC is. I mean, people have no idea. Uh, if you watch Reggie Bush at practice every single day, we never saw anything like that. That idea that, you know, you would you would draw attention to yourself was nobody ever even thought about doing that, uh, you know, at practice. Unfortunately, it got out of hand a little bit in that very last game. But uh, that's the kind of thing I think you got to work hard against, and, uh, and, and it's a good thing to do that. And uh, we'll see. I think, again, that's another challenge of, of what's going to have to happen in the spring and, and summer.
All right, we got we're gonna talk a little hoops to to end the podcast. Um, we had a couple questions about the Anthony Melton. First, Andrew West LA, uh, can you guys please break down the DeAnthony Melton situation and shed some light on whether or not USC bungled this as badly as it seems on Twitter? Based on Chimeze Metu's reaction, it seems like the whole basketball team has been kept in the dark about everything, and this feels like a major development that could kill any and all motivation that USC had for the rest of the season, which has already been a disappointment based on preseason expectations. Thoughts? That's Andrew in West LA. And then John Abrea said, I just read the news that USC is suspending DeAnthony Melton for the season. Will the athletic program ever have the guts to stick up for one of its own players? Are they really this afraid of the NCAA? When will someone in this athletic department compete and quote unquote fight on and show that they care about the student athletes? Where's Lynn Swan? Oh, and where in the world is Larry Scott? Please describe for me what, uh, what you think would be taking place if this was happening at a school in the Big Ten, ACC, or SEC. Do you think USC is handling this the right way? Thanks, John and Brea. You know, I think one of the disappointments was the fact that uh, on the day the decision came out, no one talked to the basketball team. Nobody, you know, explained it to them from the athletic department. Nobody said this is what's going on, this is why, this is how. Uh, That's a disappointment. I mean, you have DeAnthony Melton showing up every single day. I mean, I got to watch some of the practice the other day and he's out there, you know, leading practice and, and he a smile on his face and he's dominant player and, uh, you know, going to class and doing all the right things. And uh, I mean, and, you know, nobody says at all that he knew anything about what was going on. Uh, you know, and that has been the NCAA principal, you know, that obviously got Cam Newton, his eligibility in like 24 hours to play in the championship game was, oh, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know about that money that passed hand, you know, changed hands and got to the family somehow and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, not his, you know, he, he's okay. And now we see that uh, uh, the kid at Louisville with a six-figure uh, payment, Brian Bowen, who um, uh, essentially, you know, they fired Rick Pitino uh, and uh, then the athletic director, Tom Jurich, after, you know, uh, I guess it was an Adidas uh, representative and, and, and the dad and all that got involved. And, uh, and now, okay, so he couldn't go to Louisville. But now he's at the other USC uh, on the East Coast, South Carolina, and they're putting him in uh, to have his eligibility uh, okay and, and, and allow him to play at the University of South Carolina and all the experts I know 24/7 did a uh, talk to a bunch of uh, experts and they say pretty much that he'll be eligible. And you think this kid's going to be eligible? And DeAnthony Melton, who who apparently has done nothing and not involved and didn't know about it, is going to have to sit out the whole year after being strung along. Uh, I know, you know, at first the thought was if they make him, if USC makes him sit out 20 games, 20, uh, which would be two scrimmages in the first 18 games, that's way more than the NCAA would ever uh, require in, in this situation to restore eligibility for a player who didn't know uh, what was, you know, that anything was happening. Uh, and then USC gets to that point and says, oh, no, we think uh, this friend of the family got a trip to Las Vegas out of it, and that's uh, we're just going to you know, keep you ineligible the whole year. 
so they took a year out of this kid's life. Uh, and, and I haven't really owned up about it uh, publicly. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's not been handled well at all. Why, do, why does USC not have an answer from the NCAA by now? Why is this kid still in limbo? And, uh, you know, why do we hear that the compliance department thinks he shouldn't be in limbo? They think he should be playing. And that Lynn thinks it's, it's risky. Why have a compliance department if you're going to not accept their ruling in, in this case? Uh, this, this does not look good for USC. I know the, the team is really um, upset about it. You know, and, uh, Andy Unfield, you know, it, it, it just can't bother him anymore. And when you watch him practice, you can see why. As good as Anthony Melton was last year, <laughs> he's become a really good player. I mean, really, really good. But a 6'4 guard who can shoot, distribute, his shot is so much improved. I can see, you know, at first I wasn't so certain what Andy was saying. Watching, watching him the other day, man, what a loss uh, that is for USC. The one hope you have is that USC took it out on Utah a little bit the other night. And they're, uh, 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 excuse me, on Colorado, uh, whose coach had kind of made some, um, made some remarks, uh, some negative remarks uh, after beating Arizona, who also had a, a coach and a player involved in the FBI investigation, and kind of, you know, you know, lumped USC in there as well, and indicated, you know, uh, look like they're cheating, and you know, their recruiting is uh, really suspect, and kind of through. Uh, D'Anthony under the bus in the USC program. And they really went after Colorado, a Colorado team who beat uh, UCLA last night and, uh, and, and, and took it to Colorado. And I think the thing I asked the USC kids is, can you sustain this? Is this the, the way you played against Colorado? Can you sustain it for the rest of the year and play with the kind of edge that you played with against Colorado and play with uh, that kind of mad uh, attitude about how things, how you've been treated, and, and make it work for you, and uh, and play for you know D'Anthony, who's not getting to play for you, and I think that'll be the thing to watch uh, with uh, the USC uh, Utah game, and then the rest of the year, uh, you know USC's coming out and defending more, and they're playing faster, and they're trying to take you out of your game instead of uh, you know letting again letting you do your thing and then trying to react to it. USC's trying to take people out of the game and being much more aggressive and, and converting and, and playing faster and uh, playing transition and, and, and running the floor and doing all the things that they've got the athletes to do. Uh, so we'll see if the USC can make this work for them. But uh, it's really a shame that this kid uh, is caught up in this uh, uh, through no fault of his own. I mean, and let's face it, you know, the issue was, People were trying to influence someone around him to influence him to use them as agents or hell tailors, for God's sakes, once he gets to the NBA. Well, I mean, they're not even talking about recruiting him to go to a school, uh, to go to USC, or taking care of him while he's at USC. They're taking care of him um, after he leaves. I don't know that that's even an NCAA issue. And uh, if it is, there are players, uh, very, very good players in the, in, in the country right now, freshmen, whose dads 
<coughs> were being paid a whole lot of money by shoe companies to run summer teams. And I guess that's okay. But this kind of influence is so bad that this could, is going to lose a year. Uh, I really don't see it. I think USC hasn't handled it well. And, you know, welcome to the club. This is not the first time. Unfortunately, you think it probably won't be the last either. Uh, and, and, yeah, USC, has the NCAA had a vendetta against USC? Of course, without a doubt. Have they treated USC differently from anybody else? Yes, without a doubt. Uh, should that mean that USC should basically just throw up their hands and say, hey, we're not even going to try to do the right thing here, we'll just give it? No, USC can't do that. You cannot do that, uh, especially when you have a young man like the Anthony Melton that deserves more uh, than USC has given him. All right, yeah, Dan wrote a great piece too. You should check it out up on uscfootball.com about the Anthony Melton. So, um, And I know you got to get to basketball today, Dan, so we'll, we'll have to let you go. This was, yep. a, this was a long one. Yeah. But a lot of questions. They're on way. So. Yeah, I hope they do. I had a better feeling about them uh, uh, this week. Uh, I, I think they understand what they have to do. Um, and tonight will be a real good test of that. Utah doesn't want to play fast and going to try to make USC play their game. And, and, and does USC have the ability to make Utah play uh, USC's game? And, and does USC really believe in that, uh, in that game, uh, that speeding it up and, and, and playing – defense with with just tremendous enthusiasm and effort uh that they haven't had all year we'll see all right dan weber doing a great job for us at uscfootball.com covering some hoops too so make sure you go check them out and uh thanks thanks so much dan for coming on a lot of a lot of great stuff a lot of great questions as usual so many good ones yeah really good people are really thinking about this stuff i think this postseason has inspired more real thought about what's going on with this program and uh, and thinking about it in the right way. There's you know some you know shots and all of that, but I think there've been a lot of you know people thinking about it in the ways you hope everybody is thinking about uh, where does this program go from here. Yeah. All right, Dan Weber, uh, he's off to basketball. I'm off to Hawaii tomorrow, so I'll give <laughs> you more recruiting updates from uh, from the islands. So it should be fun. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. We'll try to do a show or something during the uh, during my time in Hawaii. We'll maybe we'll have Keely do the recruiting one while I'm gone or something. We'll we'll figure something out. But wanted to get one, you know, kind of a big show out there early on Sunday. Uh, well, just you know, early in the week on Sunday. So uh, have it out for all you guys, and uh, I'll see what I can do while I'm in Hawaii covering the uh, Polynesian uh, Bowl there. But thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, thanks for being part of the Peristyle podcast family. We do appreciate everyone that listens and calls in and texts in and emails us and, uh, all that stuff. We appreciate all the feedback on Twitter too. So thanks so much. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.